Hello, it is Friday. This is the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm here remotely. My Bobby, what should I call you today? I've already used Nemesis. What else? What do I have here, Robert? How do we describe? You're, I feel like I feel like my, I'm your your role model. My partner in bickering, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. Good morning. I've got a lot of energy today. That's wonderful. And we have a great guest today, Mike Ashmore, um, an excellent uh, sports reporter is here. Mike, how are you? I'm alive, Blewett. I'm alive. How are you guys doing? <laughs> He's alive. Mike, <laughs> uh, real quick, fill us in a little bit about your, because you, you have a, a pretty, and we were just chatting about this, but you've been all over the place. You're obviously the beat writer for the Somerset Patriots uh, professional baseball team, but you also go to the Super Bowl every year. You go to, like the NHL All-Star game and the, the finals, like you're all over the place, which is awesome. Your influence keeps growing and you have a podcast. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, right now, I am working at Whole Foods for $17 an hour, pushing around a shopping cart. But in my past life, um, yes, okay. uh, I'm the, uh, the the beat writer for the Somerset Patriots. This will be my 18th year, assuming there is a year this year, which I'm sure is a, a conversation that uh, we can all have. But um, yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, cover the Super Bowl. Cover the Jets. Uh, there's really no correlation between covering the Jets and covering the Super Bowl, but eh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do that. Uh, cover the Stanley Cup final every year. I've done the World Series six times. Done a, done a bunch of stuff and uh, covered you guys as well. So uh, I guess you can say I've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. So uh, how did you make that leap? I mean, is it just for the same? Is it for the same newspaper or who do you do all these different things for? Uh, all the big stuff I do is for a paper in Trenton, New Jersey called the Trentonian. Um, I cover Somerset for the Courier News, um, uh, the kind of the Gannett chain, Asbury Park Press and all that kind of stuff here in Jersey. And uh, that's that's pretty separate. But uh, the Trentonian, I uh, was their beat writer for a defunct ECHL team called the Trenton Titans and then the Trenton Devils. Um, and then once I broke the news of my own unemployment by them folding, uh, they gave me their, uh, national hockey writer job and I kind of just branched out from there. Nice. Okay. That's very cool. Um, yeah. And so for those of you who don't know, um, Mike has actually mentioned in my book, Mike's an awesome guy. He was someone who vouched for me, uh, for honestly, like no good reason. I was like an indie <laughs> ball, nobody. And Mike took an interest in and wrote about me and that's something I always appreciate. We would always catch up a little bit. And uh, I know Bobby holds you in high esteem as well, hence uh, the reason you're here on the show today. But we've got – all right, so I think everyone's off the deep end today. Mike, what are you drinking for breakfast right now? Uh, a little liquid liquid caffeinated breakfast here with a little Mountain Dew. So That just makes both of us feel ill. I just had mouthwash in my mouth that it made me feel gross, and you're chugging Mountain Dew. Uh, it's so. only 9 in the morning. Not going to kill Bo- you. And Bobby has a headband on. What is happening? There are no rules. We've got, we've said this two minutes prior. There are no rules anymore. This is, it's anarchy out there here. have always been rules. It's anarchy. We're back in. Just we're, because you say there are no rules does not mean there are no rules. You can say anything apparently, especially you don't have enough now. hair to need a headband. What, like, yes, I do. Jen, this did Jenny just le- lend that to you or <laughs> I, I use, I use of, it as a, I, it doubles as my mask when I go the shopping. The news of your future fatherhood is this covering up your third eye, your conspiracy eye. How's that, Mike? Do you know Do you know about Bobby's conspiracy theory nonsense? I do not. He is just a like a rabid uh, conspiracy theorist. Bill Gates is evil. If you didn't know, vaccines don't work. 
Um, what else? No, Bobby? no, no, no. Trump that's is a, great. A miss, Trump is that's great. A miss, that's a misinterpretation of my of my vaccine uh, my vaccine thoughts. Is it though? Yeah, I don't think all of the. I don't. It's not that all of them don't work. It's I have questions about some of them, and I have questions about the the freedom of which you are allowed to get them. Dan, we cannot spend. I don't. I'm I don't gonna, even know I'm where gonna, to start. I don't even I'm know gonna, where to start with that. Well, we don't um, need to because there's so much more news. There's a lot of news to today. All right, what's on the agenda first here, Bob? Well, since I'm re- currently reading it, we have to talk about Andrew Church of the Mets. So Andrew Church, Church Mets minor leaguer, gets released, goes on Twitter, writes a somewhat, uh, somewhat coherent paragraph so, yeah. <laughs> or two. <laughs> somewhat uh, coherent is right, yeah. But basically calls out the Mets and a certain former football player. Tim Tebow. Yeah, he sucks. Tim Tebow. Yeah, yes, not a fan not. of Tim Tebow and him taking minor league jobs just to be a whatever seems like a, baseball player. Seems clown. like a decent, yeah, seems like a decent person. But So this guy just, he lets it fire. He, he lets it fire from the hip. Like, uh, I'm sure he was wearing a bandana when he wrote this. Just talk he about what he's been. actually saying. You're rambling. I, I just I gave it to you. He he basically bashes the Mets. He bashes the Mets regime. Um, bashes the whole Tim Tebow you know performance that's going on with people are getting paid. They aren't seeing any of that. Um, yeah, and that's it. I mean, it's, he kind of rambles on like how how I am right now. But of, he it's, it's, he, it's, he does it's talk about he does talk about just his himself as a you know as a competitor and how the the Mets were just not not the right organization the right fit but mike what do you got did you read this guy's this rambling he's got yeah uh i did it seems like one of those things that maybe 24 hours from now he may may or may not regret um putting in a, in a public forum and doing it in a slightly profane uh fashion like he did i see this being organically retweeted on my timeline all over the place and it seems like it's the first time that uh, most people have probably heard of this guy and it's uh it's certainly no disrespect to him either but um you know it's not really something you want associated with yourself in terms of someone giving you a chance going forward because what's to say that you know someone's not going to release him in three months and he's just gonna you know rip the crap out of him going forward too so i think it raises more questions about him than it does about the mets but i mean he certainly to be fair to him it seems like he makes some some interesting and fair points as well so yeah, so I'm looking him up at the moment, which I think is always necessary just for for context. Um, obviously, as like a second round pick, uh, an a- accomplished kind of journeyman minor leaguer, uh, high school draft pick. So played seven seasons. Last year he was 24. He's 25 years old now. That's how uh, age works. You go up a year every year. Um, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, point, I know. Yeah, I just I'm catching myself as I ramble this morning. We're all rambling this morning. This is the um, hard-hitting stuff people tune in for. This is the hard-hitting stuff. But he he <laughs> he started jumping around a lot in 2016. So he was in high A, triple A, single A the next year, double A, high A uh, the next year, mostly double A, triple A. And so he's a pretty established double A, triple A player by 22-23, which is obviously really impressive. His last couple years, uh, a lot more mid-six ERAs and, and, and mid-five. So it looks like he struggled in maybe 2018, 2019. Um, but you can tell from the tone of his, of his writing that he was a guy who, I mean, this is, I think the number one characteristic he wrapped on was that he was a guy who would just go out there and compete, do what they asked him to do. Wouldn't say anything about it. And you can really appreciate that about a player. 
Um, but he did. He called out a lot of play, of coaches in the in the Mets system who said, and, and he said basically that there's a lot of guys uh, in there that don't understand the game. And I think we all know that there's more guys like that than ever in pro baseball. And uh, that a lot of guys just don't care about the players. And that's, you know, always a, a personal opinion. Of course, I think that's also objectively true sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of, it's a, it's a rant for sure. Um, called out Tim Tebow without using his name. Says so a toxic organization, toxic culture. Uh, the Mets treating their players as pawns in their chess game. So, yeah, that's not going to go well if he wants to get back into baseball. And as a 24 year old, he's probably got a lot left in him for sure. But I don't see it being a unique story. I see it being unique because he put it out there publicly. His story is not special or unique or anything like that. There are probably hundreds and thousands of guys who feel that way. And obviously I can't speak to the specifics in the Mets organization, but there are tons of guys. Most of the guys who get to any ball probably feel that way. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, spring training, you hear them, you know, you hear the guys who like to whine or are in peak whining form. Um, I have a Somerset memory of that myself. Hmm. First bunch of days like, Oh, okay. Guy, sorry. You don't belong here. Like, we all belong here, but you don't got it. I understand. I got it. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. It's, it's you, it's hard to know. And I, I've deleted a lot of tweets over the years and I, uh, tweet stormed at somebody on a, a nonsensical tweet. And last night and my it, emotions are running high right now. A lot of guys have been released. I mean, Bobby's wearing a headband, you know, we just have to double back to the fact that he's wearing a headband. So just life is not as it, as it was. Life not is, as it life not is as amazing. it seems. This guy, this guy gets a A plus in my book for coming out, uh, speaking his mind a little bit. Uh, the Mets are, I mean, they're a dumpster fire in general. They're just the they're the little brother of New York City. They get they get all the any. It feels like any story like this is a Mets story. If you if you put if you threw it out and said what team does this but guy you said play it, for? But you said it's also an Orioles story. I mean, if this was you, Bobby, you'd be saying you'd be running the same thing. So it's not just a Mets story. It's a but it's if minor league baseball talking, in story. The, in the if you're talking, I'm talking like New York City, like the New York City sports. Like this is a total Mets and Mets slash Jets story. Like this is we need John Rocker just, to comment. We need John Rocker. <laughs> I have tried. I've tried to get him on the podcast. Uh, you know this. The, the Tim Tebow stuff is the stuff that jumps out to me the most. Like everybody's fresh off the Michael Jordan documentary. Michael Jordan went to play baseball. Threw him in Double A. By all accounts, had a, a somewhat successful Double A stint for a guy who didn't play baseball for ten years, um, or longer, fifteen years, whatever it was. But the Tim Tebow stuff—it's like they keep throwing him in our face. He's in—he's in big league spring training. Like they're talking about whether or not this guy's going to get a call up. Like the fact that this guy isn't doing the laundry in the locker room is a testament to how big of a joke this is. After he's the first not. Year. What does that mean? He may, he maybe he is. He should be the clubby. Wait, are you uh, just making okay. stuff up? <laughs> <laughs> He's not. Tim Tebow's not doing laundry. This you just made that up. That was just like a completely unstantiated, unsubstantiated. No, I said the fact that he, the fact that he's not doing the the work of the clubby in the clubhouse as opposed oh. to playing. Oh, oh, I okay, I understand. Mike, how do you feel? But what's your what's your stance on Tim Tebow? And you can be as PC as you like since you're still well, in the industry. Um, first off, I would say there's two sides to every story and we don't know if this church kid was the biggest dick in the clubhouse. We don't know that. I mean, we don't, we haven't heard the Mets side of this story yet. We're not sure about that. Um, 
Tebow, I mean, listen, I guess it's become more and more evident over the past couple of months, uh, if anybody wasn't aware already, that baseball is a business. And, you know, Mets saw an opportunity, right or wrong, for some publicity and maybe a feel-good story of some kind at the expense of, uh, you know, some guys who've been doing this for a lot longer. It is what it is. Um, I, don't, I don't fault Tebow for doing it. I don't fault the Mets for you know, putting him in that position, it just kind of, it's one of those things where it's, it's more, feels like it's more business than it is baseball to me. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I have, I'm a little more on the side of screw that guy, but at the same time, you can't fault him for taking it. Like if the opportunity is there and he signs the contract, like he can sign the contract. Like you can't, I don't, I don't feel like having an opportunity. Yeah. yeah, I don't feel like he's disingenuous about it either. Like, I don't, I don't feel like he's doing it for a publicity stunt or anything like that. It feels like he's. Has I would a genuine, agree. Yeah, it feels like he has a agree. genuine passion to try to do it. I just don't know if he necessarily has the the skill set to to get there. But I'm sure people said the same, you know, stuff about Jordan too. So. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely getting the opportunity because of who he is. It's not a. Uh, That's clear. It's not like there's plenty of really good no, guys sure. that want to be successful that are better at baseball than Tim Tebow that should have that spot. I think that's the big art. That's the big issue with probably church and anybody else who plays outfield with the Mets. That's getting, you know, at bats taken away that whether or not they have a chance to make it to the big leagues or just a chance to maybe get a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Like that's a huge thing just to make it to the big leagues or like attain a goal. And you got this guy taking up at bats and, uh, you know, in triple a hitting a, you know, a buck 10, Whatever he well, said. Well, so here's his numbers. So uh, he played since 2016. So he's played four years. Well, 16, 17, 18, 19. So uh, first year, 194. Uh, earned a promotion, naturally. Well, that was the fall league. <laughs> earned, earned a promotion, naturally. Uh, so second year, single A and high A hit a combined 226. Okay. That's naturally, actually that's a okay. Pro- naturally a promotion to double A. Right. Uh, hit 273. In double A, which is respectable. However, 14 doubles, six home runs in 84 at bats for as big a guy as he is playing corner outfield. Overall, n- like not going to get you promoted numbers. No, and a- then last year in triple A, 77 games, hit 163 with uh, four home runs, 10 doubles, and 98 punch outs. So, yeah, he doesn't belong there. Like, we all get that. I mean, whatever. But he hasn't is also done abysmally. No, it's not. It's not his fault. Yeah. But you got you to gotta know where you're going to take the heat for the favoritism if you're Tim Tebow. And he knows that. And this, this guy's been getting heat since he was in college. You know, the 316 under the eye black, whether you like it or dislike it. Like, he was getting all kinds of heat. Um, and I didn't really understand why. Like, the you hate a guy because he's too good of a person. Okay. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Like he likes Jesus and mission trips, but this is totally his criticism is warranted. Like you don't you, the way he's performing, totally warranted criticism. I think. I don't know. I go back to the Jordan example, where I mean, kind of you read now, and he had an opportunity to go straight to the big leagues and didn't want to do it, and said he kind of wanted to work his way up and went to Double A, and his numbers didn't really warrant the playing time that he was getting. But he was Michael Jordan, and it's a business, so it was what it was. I don't know. It just it feels like it, it's kind of similar to a lot of things going on in the news. It feels like a lot of history repeating itself. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. So, Mike, what's uh, what's the state of? Um, sports going forward how do you feel about this negotiation with major league baseball 
it seems like it's in a pretty bad place at the moment. Yeah, not good. Um, MLB always kind of felt like the one like sure thing that would be able to come back and there wouldn't be, you know, any issues and obviously fans wouldn't be able to come back, but it felt like there wouldn't be any issue getting a pretty good chunk of their season in 80, hundred games. And now I wonder if they're going to get anything in with uh, kind of the, the, uh, the, the tone of the negotiations, I guess, with the players association and, and MLB, it just, it does not, doesn't look good. And obviously seen a lot of players kind of speak up. Trevor Bauer was pretty vocal about what he said about uh, Scott Boris kind of influences things. Max Scherzer spoke up. A lot of guys seem to be kind of speaking up and it kind of, obviously it's not a strike, but it kind of, it, it feels like it kind of back uh, going back to that time. Yeah. What do you feel like the core, what are the core tenets that they have to solve to, to really get this done? I mean, is it, is it just, or do you do you can do you see players conceding anything at this point? It seems no. like they don't want to. Nothing. No, no. And I mean, if if a prorated salary was negotiated in already, then why should they? Yeah, that's fair, Bobby. Where do you where do you fall on this issue, Bobby? I mean, what does uh, Bill What does Bill Gates have to do with the? Uh, ha, ha, let, let's go through Bill Gates's role here, in Bill Gates negoti- in the go- negotiation. I, I'm surprised he doesn't own a team, honestly. That's he's got the money. That's like like the natural progression of power runs sports and everything. No, but, see, he's so here's why he's not owning a team. Do you know why? Because he actually he, is he interested in helping in, in helping people, and he's that's putting his money true. into 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 public health. It's not true. <laughs> he it seems pretty self evident, but <laughs> no. Okay, okay, uh, sure. Um, Go on. So this the negotiation thing is the. So I want to backtrack because we talked about Boris. The Boris, I tweeted this out. Like Boris is a good player advocate. Now, the issue I think Bauer has of Boris that is unclear in his tweet is that the rumor is Boris is going around trying to get new clients out of this. Like he's trying to poach players and say, look, my players are all going to get paid their full salary because I'm a good, uh, I negotiated a better contract so I can do that for you. That seems to be the Boris issue. But a Scott Boris as a, as a player advocate is somebody that the players, they need him on his on their side. Like, this guy has gotten the most money out of owners. He gets the best contracts for his players, whether they deserve them or not, um, money-wise, length-wise. So, like, Bauer, I'm just talking Bauer specifically. Like, I get where he's coming from, and I'm not a Bauer fan. I understand what his, his issue is because he does have a small-time agent. I think his agent is a, is a female athlete from UCLA that he went to school with. But – you got like you got to pick your battles, and especially publicly, like Scott Boris is somebody you need on your side in this situation. Like the owners have you by the by the by the balls. They just do. You know, at the end of the day, they don't need these guys to play. They just don't. And unfortunately, that's an unfortunate. How do you state. how do you justify that? I justify it by so I'm a I'm a White Sox fan, right? Like we have I live in Chicago. There's Cubs fans. Yeah, yeah. Like tie players, White Sox into this. Go, go ahead. Well, go. Players come and go, right? Like the the Cubs the Cubs have prominent players: Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. In in a few years, yeah, like if they don't play this year, the Cubs fans are gonna be all up in arms, right? Blah blah blah. But those people are still gonna be Cubs fans. Like players come and go, and those guys they can't play forever. So the like we all know about the strike of '94, everything that happened. But I don't, I couldn't name specific players. I know if my team was was affected, maybe I'm, you know, I'm a little too young to remember that place in history. Dan probably you too. But there's always going to be the Cubs. 
Like, but the players on these team, like they're really fighting for guys that are coming after them in, in like any strike. So these guys are, they're taking all the risk. Like the owners, are they taking a risk? Maybe like they might lose some money in the short term, but these guys have the money. So I don't know that you should. Mike, where do you fall on the, where do you fall on this issue? I think we're old enough to remember replacement players when that was kind of a a thing and guys were, uh, excuse me, crossing the line. I know Shane Spencer, uh, who was, uh, you know, Stevens uh, was, uh, you know, scab was one of those guys and uh, is always associated with that. Dan as kind of being a a scab of sorts, but uh, fans hated that obviously, but that was a thing in the NFL when there was a strike too. They actually played with the placement players. I think in the the mid eighties, they tried to do that and, uh, fans hated that. So while I agree the players come and go, I think, um, you know, if it ever gets to a point where they try to do some sort of, uh, you know, replacements or a lot of guys elect not to play, fans aren't going to, to put up with it. And obviously they're not able to, to be uh, at the ballpark right now, given what's going on, but uh, nobody's going to want to watch that. I disagree. I, I Bobby, disagree are you in playing that. shape? Bobby, are you in playing shape? I am in I, I'm in playing shape and I'm in like submarine pitching shape in case anybody <laughs> needs somebody. But I think this is this is what's so unique about what's happening right now is if you put anything on television, it, American sports, it's going to be watched. I saw the first. So the first league that's coming back is women's soccer. I think women's soccer league is the first one that's going to reopen, um, at least right now. People are going to watch that much at a much higher I'm- clip than they would have watched women's soccer. Hundred percent. Yes and no. I mean, like, look at the the KBO. KBO was the hottest thing like two, three weeks ago, and I haven't heard a damn thing about it over the past week or two, man. Like, uh, no. But but my my the flip of that is KBO is the like what what time that it's on is what five a.m. six a.m. and and KBO is not really a thing like in the U.S. to begin with. Not that women's soccer is. Women's soccer is not either. I mean, it's it like be, it's only right? a thing like every once in a while. Most of these Olympic sports are very obscure and poorly watched. Like, does anyone care True. about the the pentathlon or decathlon or the biathlon yes. or yes, we do. or just like name nearly all Olympic sports? No one cares about them almost ever. Oh, we do, Dan. If we they do. were on regularly, Mike, if how often would people watch the biathlon? If that was, would people watch the biathlon if that was on right now, skiing would, around, shooting shooting at targets? I'd watch the hell out of curling right now. That's a oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But I think, uh, like, all right, so, I mean, women's soccer, whatever, you watch, you don't, but you, you're going to watch, like, whatever's on TV now, like, baseball's missing, the the players are missing the boat. Well, we all agree on that, for argument, sure. You know, that they're, they're, people are going to watch, whether it's scab players or they're taking these minor leaguers and throwing them, throwing them out there. I, I think, Dan, what, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would take that title as scab if someone's like, hey, come play for the Cubs right now. I don't know about you. Well... I would love to go just throw 87 right now and like destroy my shoulder completely and give up a couple of bombs on TV and just not care. I mean, like my career is well past, so I'd go out there, but I wouldn't want to watch me. I wouldn't want to watch Bobby Stevens playing shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. I'd be like, sure what is this would. trash? I'd turn it Are off. Absolutely. Me? I would not. No, it's Mike, not. Mike. It's not baseball. It's not interchangeable just from the uniform. Mike, how do you feel about that? Oh, man. So it is, though. It's not, though. It's not. So if you took, say you took, you're like, all right, we're going to start up MLB, but we're going to have eight teams. And you take the eight Atlantic League teams that are currently established and you have their rosters and you bring them to the big leagues. Is the 
ratings and the interest that you're going to get in that. And that's, I love covering any balls, no disrespect to any of you guys or anybody who plays any ball or anything like that. Are the ratings, is the interest going to be exactly what it was compared to quote unquote actual big league guys? No, no, absolutely not. But people will watch it. The same way they'll watch a train wreck. Hey. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. You're, yes. you're saying people will watch it is, is a really vague term. Like, sure, some I, people watch it like eating beans out of a can, like you know, and they're like under Fourth under July. you know living Nathan's. under a under a tunnel under a bridge. Like they'll watch it, but they're not like I I care so little about KBO. People are talking about KBO. I'm like, I would rather watch Mike drink Mountain Dew than, than watch KBO. And you'll I just think too. it's so. I I think it's I think. You it's, can't talk about you it. To, you can't talk about Bobby Stevens playing shortstop for the New York Yankees. You can't talk about but, this this scrub Dan Blewett pitching, like starting can, for the because for the, pe- no, you can't because no one cares at all. But nobody, like but nobody know, cares who's playing for the, nobody cares who's playing on the on the any of these big league teams either. Sands a few star players. I disagree. They, like there's still only like so this many is our guy. These are our guys. Like this is our future. But that's there's a difference. There's a but difference. There's, but there's very popular big leaguers that aren't superstars, that aren't high paid guys. Like you, there's the Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, you know, category of guys that are well known around which, the country. Which, yeah, which are not in the same category. But those, are, but those are the guys. That, those are guys that need the mouthpiece, right? Like if you're gonna lead the charge, you lead the charge with your best guys. You don't lead like the, you don't take the middle reliever from the from the White Sox as like your mouthpiece for the union because people on the White Sox don't care essentially who that guy is. So like Trevor Bauer's taking, like he's in the forefront of it, right? He's a pretty prominent big league pitcher. But if Trevor Bauer never plays baseball again, like that'll be a sad story for Trevor Bauer, but the Indians and the Reds, whoever, whatever team he's on now, the Reds, they're, they're going on. Like the Cincinnati Reds will exist and there will be another Trevor Bauer that comes along. And it's just like, I feel for the players because they have to make the sacrifice. Like the players are going to get screwed regardless. They're not going to get a 50, 50 split. They're not going to get, they're not going to get a prorated 50% version of their, of their salary. And that's just going to be, that's just what's going to happen. I'm I hate to burst any of their bubbles. I think they're going to get that money. They're not because I, I do understand where the owners are coming from saying, you know, if we play the season with no fans and we pay their prorated salaries accordingly, we're going to lose 500 million. And if we just don't play all together, we're only going to lose 200 million. Like people, people keep giving the argument. I think this argument is BS. It's that, oh, well, they've got billions of dollars. Like that's who cares? Those people, they don't get billions of dollars because they just throw hundreds of millions of dollars down the train. Like they're making business decisions. They're not making, they're not making good to the country decisions. They don't care. Like people don't get that rich because they care about everybody. Like at some point they were knocking people off left and right. My commentary. on on, on Bobby's point so where's the leverage for the players then because if the owners lose 500 million if they play and only 200 million say just using your numbers if they don't and the players are like well we don't want to take your deal we're going to walk away then okay great you just saved the owners 300 million dollars so what do the players have collectively to kind of bank on here I don't know that's 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 a great question Mike and I don't know what the players leverage is I mean I think I think there's leverage in being a cohesive unit. Like, look, we're like, there are no scabs. We're not going to play baseball. And then the further along this gets, maybe if it gets into next year, like the numbers really start to take a hit on some of these, on some of these teams. And 
you know, I, the owners aren't stupid. Like they know they need workers, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to take the numbers that have been thrown out there, like the amount hit in revenue that they're going to take if they've got to pay these prorated salaries. I just don't think, I think they're willing to stand pat. I just, that's how I feel. You know, if I was an owner, they're probably willing to stand pat, at least for the rest of this year, based on all this crap that's going on. Well, I think the the, the finances of business ownership are nebulous. They're not like, here's an example, Elon Musk, okay? He own he's a billionaire, maybe like a couple times over. I'm not sure his exact like net worth. 30 but something I, billion. I, I don't know. But either way, I read an interesting article that he almost has no cash to his name. He has to actually, he actually takes out personal loans. This is true. Um, not conspiracy. He has to pay, take out personal loans to like basically pay his bills. He just sold a bunch of houses, which I think helped him. But um, this is a long, really interesting article about Elon Musk and how basically all of his net worth is tied up in actual stock in Tesla, in, in yeah. SpaceX, in, you know, his businesses and stuff like that. He doesn't really have any cash to even like give himself or like give a loan to his there's a quote but his brother asking for a loan he's like dude you know i don't have any money like you know this i don't have anything to give you i'd have to take out a loan to give you a loan so like the finances of being a billionaire and owning a baseball team like it's not exactly clear they just like can say here you go everyone like there's if they're still bleeding 50 100 million dollars because of a summer it's not clear they could just like have all the cash to give it. I mean, Mike, how do you, how do you, what do you know about the finances of a, of, of sports teams? I feel like if your finances are like that, then you probably shouldn't be owning a sports team, but that's just me. I feel like you kind of have to, um, you know, not necessarily bank on something like this happening, but at least be prepared for, for something like this happening. And um, it seems like a lot of these owners are um, just very ill prepared for, for any of this that that's gone on. And obviously this is all, unprecedented and unpredictable but um it just it doesn't seem like anybody has their you know what together right now well i don't well, i think you're i think you're right but I, I, again i don't want to feel like we're we're supporting like what the owners are doing here like in a perfect oh, world the players i just want to be on the other side in. of whatever side trevor bowers on i just want to stay on the other side because he is <laughs> he's the worst he's just the worst and let me read scott boris's tweet uh for those of those who have or not scott boris's tweet but so apparently um, what got Bauer upset? I, I, it's not clear based on the reports what he's upset about, but uh, I guess Scott Boris sent an email to his clients and a, here's a little, a little thing from it. Remember, games cannot be played without you. Players should not agree to further pay cuts to bail out the owners. Let owners take some of their record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salaries you agreed to accept or let them borrow against the asset values they created from the use of those Profits players generated. So that's uh, who knows if that's the exact thing. He, we, we're just not really privy to the inside of it. So I don't know. But I do know that Trevor Bauer's uh, just emotionally just one of the stupidest humans, it seems like, out there uh, tweeting nonstop, like our president. But um, anyway, so whatever side he's on, I want to stay on the other side. So that makes me a scab. I'll go pitch or play shortstop. I'll make 11 errors a game. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on with all that. I also just don't know. I mean, the thing they're talking about with businesses and uh, I read and listen a lot about business and um, I recently made my first stock purchase. Go hey, me, congrats. go me, congrats. go me, go me. I'm not going to not going to disclose at this time. We give stock tips on this show. It's a good. It's a potentially a good time to get, to get into stocks. But anyway, um, 
a lot of businesses, there's no possible way they could be prepared for this. Like there's, there's no amount of money. They like the airline companies. Yeah. They did a lot of stupid things, buying back their own stocks. A lot of companies were, were buying back their own, their own shares. And they got a lot of criticism for that. But even if they weren't doing that, it's not like they were going to like these companies can have 12 months of salary just floating in the bank. Like Apple does. It's very, very rare for most businesses, register restaurants, like these, these teams that have huge payrolls, they just can't possibly have that much money to survive for any significant period of time where, until they just really plunge off. So I don't know the finances of all this stuff. I really just don't. So I don't have strong opinions of how, but we just keep saying like it's billionaires versus everyone else. And I get that. Like David Price shouldn't have to give out a thousand dollars per minor leaguer. But then again, the, the major league uh, baseball players association, they don't do anything for minor league players rights. So screw them too. Like, why don't they have something like, why don't they make conditions improve for minor league baseball players? Mike, do you know anything about that? Um, I just, it, it feels like for years, people have been kind of begging minor leaguers to unionize. And if this doesn't do it, what will? Yeah. Which I don't think will ever happen. Well, someone's got to be like, they're poor. Someone's got to, there has to be something. And why don't the major leaguers care about the minor leaguers? They act like they do, but they don't. I mean, you know, two starts of Max Scherzer. And I think Max Scherzer from all records is a super stand-up guy, but like two starts with his salary pays for what? Entire organizations, like salaries for, you know, for the whole year in the minor leagues. Like the, the, the disparity is insane. That 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 discussion with minor leaguers has been, you know, obviously longstanding. You know, they're underpaid. They they work all these long hours. Like, how are they supposed to, like, you know, get to the big leagues without the proper nutrition because they don't get paid enough money? But that's like the cream always rises to the top. Like the best players always rise through the system. But also, like that is part of the, you know, allure, like the the nostalgia of minor league baseball. Like you ride the bus. You know, it's not a luxury thing. Yes, should they get paid more money? Yeah, in a perfect world, probably. But do the does anybody need to pay these guys more money? Absolutely not, because there are guys banging down the door to get those jobs. You got guys, especially guys from the you know places other than America, where some of the, where the amount of money that they get in the minor leagues is actually not a bad living wage for them back home. So I don't think minor leaguers are ever going to unionize because if they do, those guys are just going to get sent home, and eventually they're going to be too old to play in the minor leagues, and they're going to be useless to to these owners anyways. Well, I don't know the Mike. Do you know much about unionizing? How do you unionize? Do you just like go to Walmart? You get like a kit. Like, how does it work? I'm yeah, pretty sure. I'm like pretty sure it's how it works. It's it's right next to the Mountain Dew, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys have you guys covered? I'm sure you have at some point in the show. Have you guys actually covered how much minor leaguers make or how little minor leaguers make? Because I think a lot of people listening or watching really don't. And I'm sure they do more so now than they have in the past, but don't really have an understanding of the pennies on the dollar that, that you guys probably made during your career in comparison to, you know, what really you deserve. We haven't, uh, we talked a little bit, we talked a good amount about indie ball with Chris Carmanucci, who I'm, I'm sure, you know, sure. Yeah. Um, but why don't you, why don't you go into it a little bit, Mike? Oh man. So, uh, Start us off. Atlantic league, for example, which is where I met both of you fine folks, the max salary per month is three grand. Nobody so makes it back up, yeah. Mike, back up, Mike, tell people what the Atlantic league is. Cause people don't know what that is either. Okay. Uh, Atlantic League is an independent baseball league that is largely considered and is deservedly so to be considered the uh, best independent league in the country. It's where a lot of former major leaguers go, a lot of guys with double AA, A, triple A time, et cetera, and uh, is known for getting a lot of guys back to affiliated baseball, a lot back to the big leagues, uh, to Mexico, and all sorts of places. So 
Um, it's, it's a good level of ball. Guys usually compare it to double-A, triple-A, usually depending on the pitching that night. Stevens, am I wrong? You are very correct. Okay. So, so not- notable signees, Rich Hill recently was a Long Island Duck. Yeah, Rich uh, Hill. Back in 2015. Uh, yeah. Who are some other ones? Uh, I mean, Jose Canseco, Ricky Henderson, John Rocker, you brought up, former Long Island Duck great, John Rocker. Dontrell uh, yeah. Willis. Dontrell Willis, yeah. Bill, been, Bill Hall was there. Been a lot of uh, really recognizable kind of name brand kind of guys who, uh, who have been through that league. But yeah, the, who, uh, the Mac, go ahead. Who is the lefty from the Brewers who was like a first round pick who I pitched against in 2015 16? What team? Do you remember? He was with you guys with Somerset. Left in the hand swing. Had crazy pop, but hit like 190 for you guys. Like you just didn't have it. Matt anymore. Gamble? Yeah, Matt Gamble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a... He, he was a recognizable name, yeah. at least you know, to some people who are... I guess if you're like a more of a base, baseball insider, he'd be recognizable. He was, yeah, but, he went to the Futures game. Like he, mm-hmm. has the, you know, he has the name. He just, it was probably about that time for him. Nice guy. Uh, just you know, probably about that time for him. But yeah, to yeah. see the, the max salary there is, is three grand a month. And like I said, nobody makes that. I'm sure you guys didn't come close to making that there. Yeah, um, Bobby, what did you make? Uh, I think I was making 2000 a month. Nineteen hundred, two thousand a month, something like that. You're doing wow. well, Stevens. They, I they overpaid. Like, yeah, yeah. I figured you'd be probably doing about like sixteen fifty, seventeen hundred. Good job, Stevens. Your uh, your your agent, which is probably you, did a which good job me. negotiating that deal. Yes. Uh, yeah. The negotiation was sure. I'll take it. Yes. So, for me, and I'll contextualize this by going back. My first year in indie ball, I made six hundred a month, two fifty five ten first paycheck. Um, second year was eight fifty. Third year, a thousand. Uh, first year in the Atlantic League was fourteen fifty. Second year was sixteen fifty. Last year was eighteen hundred. I think. Is that so, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for people who don't know, and this is probably better for you guys to explain, what comes out of those checks? Um, peanut butter and jelly. So, so clubhouse dues are, um, what was it, seven dollars a day? Yes, six or seven dollars a day, depending on where you were at. So for anyone that doesn't know, clubhouse dues, they do your laundry after the games. The clubhouse attendant does your laundry, hangs up your laundry. Um, you get a Which towel. is a really strange system. It's, it's, it's like, why does the club not pay for your laundry? It's, it's a really bizarre thing. Mike, what do you know about all that? Like, why it's is just, it that way? It's so it's weird. Just one of those kind of antiquated traditions that has just kind of always been a thing. Uh, I mean, you guys have to take care of housing on your own sometimes. Some guys do host family. Some guys do hotel. Um, I mean, guys are, you know, sharing four or six at a time in an apartment or a couple rooms in a house or something like that. Um, there's a lot of things that, that come out of it. So you always have to tip the clubby, uh, clubhouse dues, obviously. Uh, there's, there's, Yeah. Uh, the amount that you guys actually take home would be very interesting compared to what the actual negotiated amount is. Yeah, I would. I would say you'd have you have to go into the season with a little nest egg of money put a, put away just for to make it through. You know, like you said, if you're lucky enough to have a host family, great. That costs you nothing. Um, but most guys aren't. Most guys have to live in some some tight quarters. When I was in. When I was in Camden, they didn't even have apartment options for us. They said, this is the rate at the hotel. It's a little bit of a reduced rate. I think it was like 60 bucks a night, which if you're staying at, you know, if you're going by a minor league season, you spend half the month on the road, half the month at home. So 15 days times $60, you're looking at $900 to stay in a hotel. 
usually you get a roommate, you guys split the room, but you're talking about a good amount of money just to, to check in, check out. I mean, living out of a suitcase is, is not a, it's not an exaggeration. That's literally what you're doing. You check in when you get home from a road trip, you check out the morning of, and you know, bar money, everybody needs the money to go buy your Malort. Hmm. So Mike, how do you feel about Malort? Oh, I'm not sure what the, uh, the, the swearing uh, capabilities are in this podcast, but uh, I think that should be your answer. So it's the, this, this show is don't be offensive, but if you want to say, damn, you can say, damn, I think use what you need to use, but we try to keep it family friendly ish. Kids have heard a curse word or two in their life. It's damn awful. It's damn it awful. So, yeah. 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 I, I have, I have enjoyed it with Stevens in person. Yes. You're welcome, think, Dan. You're I welcome. think we all I think we all have. It's um it's a miserable liqueur. A mi- miserable. Um shout out yeah. to our sponsor, Jepson's Malort, unofficial <laughs> sponsor of the Morning Brushback podcast. M- Mike, I'll send you a bottle for your appearance on the show today. Yeah, send me uh send me a bottle of this nice breakfast drink here and I'll be good to go. So Is yeah, that your so- favorite Mountain Dew flavor? No. Uh, what size bottle is that? It's like a one, one, one liter. It's kind of in between. It looks like this is the get up for you guys size. Uh, this is the yes. uh, the one point two five liter blue. Weird. 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 Um, that's the first time someone, anyone's called me blue in a while. When you're not like you're like <laughs> baseball nicknames, kind of like go away. Like people, my family doesn't call me that. My friends don't really call me that. Women don't call me that. Damn. Women should so, call you that. Little, 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 little uh, shot back to the past there. Living in my past again. But yeah, so a lot of that money comes out. And like you said, Mike, whether they take care of your uh, living expenses is a big deal in Indy Ball. The Somerset Patriots, for as much as I want to stick it to them for them cutting me in spring training and all that, they do a really good job with their players. Yeah. I mean, they do everything first class. I mean, um, you know, all that stuff as a player – you know, you leave some of those, like I got released by the ducks still have nothing really, but good things to say about the ducks and the way long Island runs their program. You know, their, their team, they do a fantastic job getting fans in the stands and making it fun and getting good players. Somerset does the same thing. Um, you know, Somerset's uh, coaches were always honest with me, you know, they do a good job, but the other teams like Camden Camden was a dumpster fire because they don't do anything to help players. And so a lot of these guys in the Atlantic league who are, the average age is probably what twenty eight to thirty four is probably the range, something like that. Mm. Something, maybe, yeah, a little younger, maybe, yeah, yeah, a little younger, probably. So I'd say twenty six to thirty. But I mean, to your point, Dan, um, or I don't know if I should call you Blue, Dan. However, tell me do what it. it doesn't matter. All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Whatever I think you want. If you look at the budget of a team like a Long Island and a Somerset, and you compare it to Camden, I think Camden at, at the time probably couldn't really do a whole hell of a lot for you guys too. So I, but at the same time, there's certain things, you know, as a, a pro ball player that you come to expect that, you know, maybe uh, in retrospect, they probably should have been better prepared to, to take care of for you guys. But again, budget wise, they didn't have a damn thing. Well, and they also didn't seem to try. That's the other thing. It's like, find a partnership, like do something, like give them some ad space, like go, find some way to just like hook up with an apartment complex that's under, you know, it's under occupancy and say, Hey, you have a couple of apartments that maybe you're not going to rent this summer. Um, we'll give you a bunch of ad space. We'll do this. We'll do that. And in exchange, you know, can you have one that our guys can do month to month and just kind of like, even that would have been great, but they had literally not a thing. 
Like, again, I loved my time in, in Camden. I loved my coaches. Uh, it was a really fun – baseball is always what you make it of it. But there's just a massive level of incompetence there, and mostly in the front office. There's some really good people there, but, that I mean, you just can't look at every day and, like, look at the way things are and think that this is being run well. And, no. I, yeah, I, I get it. The budgetary constraints are what they are. I get that. And I don't know the ins and outs of the business, but – they're just you just start to look around at why there's, you know, 214 fans here, and what you know I don't know. Anyway, tr- ramble about that. But you know you're right. The the minor league conditions are people don't people don't get. It. I think they get it more than they used to, um, and I think there's been a lot of outrage and there's been a lot of attention drawn to it. Rightly so. I personally still don't look back on the low wages and and like feel any sort of way about it i think it was fine i made do everyone everyone's in a different position but um this idea that like so many players can't keep playing because of the salaries i don't know if that's really the case and i also don't know that it's the case and i'm I'm interested in your thoughts on this mike i was reading some twitter thread recently about yeah if we you know we you gave all these players four grand a month in the minor leagues like You'd be turning, you'd, you'd be getting so many more big leaguers, and you know, the investment would pay off by just giving getting one guy. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think Mike Trout becomes Mike Trout, whether he's underpaid or overpaid in the minor leagues. I think guys who aren't going to make it aren't going to make it no matter what. I don't think there's really a, a tremendous amount of flux where someone's going to now make it because they get an extra three thousand dollars a month. Where do you fall on that, Mike? <sighs> For the most part, I agree with you. I'm also, I, I don't know that I can speak for like, say like the Dominican kid or the Puerto Rican kid who's really coming from nothing and maybe has no choice, but to, to give up, uh, you know, earlier than, than maybe someone who's come from a more privileged background. So I don't know about that, but at the same time, like, obviously I feel like most people agree minor league baseball players should be paid uh, a lot more and a lot uh, better, but y'all know what you kind of signed up for too. So it's kind of hard to, to complain about that while y'all are, are in in the moment, but um, I, I don't really. I don't. Yeah, like you said, Dan, I don't really think um, you know a couple grand is going to make a difference for most people in terms of whether they're going to become you know who they end up becoming or not. Yeah, because the X factor seems, and I'm sure Bobby, you see this with youth players. You know, you have kids that come and do lessons, and they do their lesson, they listen, and they're they're great. They go home, but they don't really practice. And then you have kids that come in for lessons who. They come in, they listen, they go home, and they practice their faces off. And, they've, yeah. and they don't need their hands to be held 100% of the time. I have kids that will come in and will say, hey, you know, what should I do for this, Dan? And then I have other kids that would come in and say, hey, Dan, so I was researching different things, you know, to do for my arm at home and different stretches. What do you think about these ones that I found? Like, that's a very different person. Um, it's a very different attitude towards life. And when I hear people complain about money and like, I don't make as much money as I want to. Um, money's not like a, a, a big important thing in my life, but I don't make as much money as I want to, but I also don't complain about things I can't afford or couldn't do or whatever. I think if I want more money, I should find a way to earn more money. And I think it kind of goes back to the same thing. Like there was a good report and I was happy to see it a while back of a, of a minor leaguer who was like, all right, well, we're clearly not getting paid. So I'm getting a job. He was like either driving around, um, delivering food with DoorDash or it was like Instacart or something like that, right? It's like how many of those guys that are like some of the first ones to point out on Twitter how much they get screwed by this 
how much are they hustling in the off season or like, but they're kind of feel like, Oh, we shouldn't have to hustle. Well, like big deal. Everyone has to hustle. I mean, that that's yeah. kind of where I fall on that sometimes. Like there's more gig gig work than ever. And I don't think there's a lot of minor leaguers complaining about salaries, but um, when they do speak up and whine about it, I just also wonder how much you're doing. Like you say, you can't feed your family. There's a lot of people out there who've worked three jobs. I mean, you hear it all the time, especially like there's so many hardworking immigrants in our country who work all these different jobs to make ends meet for their families. Do these minor leaguers who speak up about the conditions, do they have that same mentality in the, in the off season? I don't know. Maybe they Be do. Care. Maybe yeah. they don't. Maybe Be they do. Maybe they don't. Be careful what you wish for, right? Be careful what you wish for. Like the, if you want to get paid more in the minor leagues, it's going to be treated just like the big leagues. You get called up, you struggle for a week. Guess what? You go right back down. You know, you, you make it, you're in the minor leagues, you're in, you're in a ball and you struggle for two weeks and you're getting, now you're getting paid, you know, triple, you're getting paid five, 6,000 a month. Well, guess what? You don't have a job in professional baseball anymore. I mean, that uh, more money is great and everybody wants to talk about it. And yeah, in a perfect world, you play, you know, you get paid accordingly or what you feel like is a good, a good living wage. But at the end of the day, this is, you know, the business is going to dictate whether or not you have a job. So if you're struggling and we've all struggled, uh, you know, in any aspect at yeah, baseball, Dan, you and I, Mike, you know, maybe trying to find a story, something like that, you know, you struggle for two weeks, you go, you know, you're two for your last 20. That might be it. If you're making too much money, you know, they're, they're, you're under a bigger microscope in that sense. I don't think anybody's really talking about that specifically. Um, you know, indie ball is a good example. Like if Mike, you said, nobody's making three grand. Well, if you got a guy in Somerset making $2,600 and, and for three weeks straight, he can't, he can't find the plate, you know, on the mound, that guy's gone. And sure. I don't think, and I don't think, uh, and that's just 26, you know, let, let's, even if he's making the max at three grand. So I want to stay on transition a little bit or move to the you next stay topic, on, You want to stay on a transition? I want to stay on indie ball for a second. I got one more question. I got one more question from Mike. So Mike, yeah. you said like you're, you're a, you're a writer and you're out of work, but you, it sounds like you quickly were like, I'm getting a job. I mean, tell me about that process. Cause that doesn't seem like the common thing to do either. I think a lot of people are just kind of at home waiting for their old position to come back but you seem to like you just jumped on something new i didn't want to um my wife and i just bought a house uh, at like the worst possible time and the mortgage doesn't pay itself um i could stay at home and probably end up making more money than i am now but um i, I could have filed for unemployment i just didn't really want to do that so i kind of wanted to find something that i would actually not like want to do but be okay with doing and it's very humbling going from covering the Super Bowl to being bitched at for how many groceries are in the bag you just packed. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I need to, you know, make money like everybody else does, like you guys were saying too, and kind of grind and until and this whatever is going on is done. And uh, it is what it is. So uh, until things are back to normal, uh, I'll be filling online orders at your local Whole Foods. So staying on that, are you hearing anything about going back to normal for Atlantic League or, uh, you know, independent baseball in general? I think as a whole, indie ball has a better chance of getting some form of a season in than the minors do collectively. Most people seem to have a consensus that the minors are not going to be a thing this year, uh, which I agree with. I think you might see some sort of extended instructs or, or fall league kind of stuff uh but the minors in home ballparks as we know at this season i don't think it's going to happen 
Uh, indie ball, I have not heard anything concrete. Atlantic League, I have not heard anything concrete. I keep sticking with like this July 1st drop dead date where if there's not a plan for something to come back or something hasn't come back by then, I don't think it's going to. Um, but I st- the, the thing people need to, to realize the most is, oh, they can just come back with no fans. No, they can't. MLB can do that. Miners cannot do that. Indie ball cannot do that. The majority of the revenue comes from fans. You cannot open that ballpark with nobody there. It would be just an absolute waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I know they're talking about American Association here. They still have like the July 4th weekend is everything that I'm being told is like that's still on pace. But at some point, like it's getting close. You guys got to get in there. Indie ball spring training for anyone that doesn't know is what, 10 days to two weeks at most. Yeah. So there's a little more leeway. Like you're, I don't want to say, I don't want to say they risk health more in indie ball, but you're expected to show up a little more prepared than you would be for a, for a minor league, uh, like an affiliated spring training. They kind of, that, that's into. not happening this year. I mean, you know, most guys are staying in shape. There's guys who haven't done a damn thing. So, oh, yeah. I mean, indie ball spring training being two weeks, if there is a season is going to be really funky looking. It's going to be a quick ramp up. Those are going to be, I think they, so like what I what I said a little while ago is those guys that if they don't perform right off the bat, like there's now there are how many hundreds of players looking for work in these yep. in for only a handful of maybe independent teams that are going to play. So I think you're going to be you're going to have an influx of talent of really good high level players that need jobs and you don't you're not going to be afforded the luxury of easing into a season like you're going to have to hit the ground running. Yeah, I wasn't as freaked out by the mass releases yesterday. I guess, guess it was yesterday as most people were, just because I feel like that's what would have happened at the end of a regular spring training anyway. I just, right. the optics of doing that during a pandemic are not good. Yeah, it's funny. That's a small, like the, like the Marlins are one of the teams, you know, the, the smaller, like less quote unquote, less revenue, small revenue teams are the ones covering the expenses for those their employees and their minor leaguers. And then you got certain teams that make more money or in bigger markets that are just, there you go. Like businesses, business as usual. Bobby yeah, transition us, bro. Let's go. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. Mike, I wanted to ask you, so you've covered super bowls, you've covered all-star games, all that stuff. What has been your favorite experience uh, sporting event wise? There are two. Um, game seven of the world series in 2016 and super bowl 51. What made, what made the game seven? So I know, I know Cubs Indians Mm -hmm. that was in Cleveland, I believe. Yep. What made that so special other than obviously very, not very good game. Uh, it was my first game seven of a world series. I think it was the fourth world series I'd done. Um, and just, you know, the history that was at stake there with, uh, two teams that had not, you know, won it in forever, basically, uh, the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, game was incredible. It was everything you could have possibly wanted it to be. If someone, you know, ever asked you, Hey, did you get to cover a game seven of the world series? I can say I covered that one. It was actually a good, yeah, memorable that's one. Pretty cool. people, yeah. The people actually care about super bowl 51, uh, first super bowl, my first super bowl. And also the first super bowl that ever went to overtime. It was the, uh, 28 to three, uh, Falcons leading. And then the Tom Brady, uh, Patriots comeback. So that's another one that people, We'll, you know, talk about for seemingly forever. So I, I got very fortunate to uh, be able to be at a point in my career where I could kind of do games like that at that time. 
How, what are the what are the ins and outs of going to a game seven, a Super Bowl? Like, how much does that cost your newspaper to get you out there? Like, what's that? Take us through that whole thing because I think that's fascinating. That little secret world that you reporters get to. <laughs> that's a cool thing for sure. Um, so 2016 remains the only World Series where I did every game. Usually, I just kind of pick a city and just stay there. And if I, you know, if I get to see the the trophy, great. If I don't, great. Kind of is what it is. But it's you know the expenses are are pretty significant with that in terms of sending me wherever it is, uh, hotels, uh, any expenses, uh, reasonable expenses, not drinking malort expenses that I may. Uh, Ooh la la. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I may I may incur while I'm out. Uh, so there's that. Uh, Super Bowl is actually kind of a little more difficult to do because the way the NFL does it, it really doesn't make sense to not be there for the whole week. So you're pretty much wherever the Super Bowl is for a week. Uh, Super Bowl 53, I had a hotel in Atlanta for about a week, and it was one of like the NFL hotels where like they would shuttle you around to the stadium and all the. Uh, media availabilities and stuff and for i think it was like five or six days it was maybe somewhere around like seventeen eighteen hundred dollars it's a nice hotel it's like a marriott you know decent ish marriott but like it's the prices for stuff that week uh, are insane so you're, you're racking up a, a lot of cash and there's a lot of as you were kind of talking about with player salaries there's a lot of pressure on you to not screw up with the amount of money that's getting uh you know put into you and kind of the opportunity that you're being given yeah, so you what's, normally what's do... the expectation? Uh, I beat you Damn there, it, Bobby. Man. What's the expectation? Do you have to write a story a night? Um, do you have to write? Do you feel like you have to write something different than like like what, what's your angle? Like what? Why do they have Mike Ashmore on the story rather than someone else? I mean, you're not just recapping the game. It's like oh, Johnny no. hit a double in the fifth. Like what? What's your angle there? Uh, for Super Bowl week, uh, usually I'm trying to find something local-ish. Like this year, I did a couple Rutgers-related stories. I did a story on Jordan Matthews, who played for the Eagles, which is kind of related-ish to, to where our paper is based in Trenton, New Jersey. It's about 30, 45 minutes out of there. Uh, just trying to find something. There's stuff I kind of stick to every year. When I do the Stanley Cup final, there's stuff stories I kind of stick to where you kind of trying to do something that's different than what everybody else is doing and kind of hope that you land on something like I'll do Super Bowl. I will do a backup quarterback story every year, just in case one of them goes down and we have something we can use right away. And there's always kind of a fascinating story with backups too. I do the backup goalie story every year in the Stanley cup final, same premise. So it's, there's a lot of kind of different things you, you try to do and, and play with. And most of it doesn't work, but when it does, it it's, it's really beneficial. Yeah, you stole my thunder there, Mike. I was going to say, you, you you normally do a story on the backup. Um, I, I remember the goalies. I don't remember the quarterback backup stories, but I remember uh, there's always you doing the, you got the backup goalie and this guy is like super thrilled to be interviewed because he never gets interviewed. He's yeah. like the one guy who nobody talks to in the locker room, I feel like, for hockey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like media day, the backup goalie is typically either left alone or only asked to talk about the starter. So <laughs> um, usually you get some some pretty good stuff there. And I think that story is kind of I've done eight Stanley Cup finals. And I think twice, uh, you know, the starter has gone down and it's kind of uh, worked out for us. So just one of those things where it's something that most people aren't doing coverage wise. So it's just one of those things where you try to stand out and, you know, make yourself you know, do something different and uh, hope it works. Most times it doesn't, but when it does, like I said, it uh, it really helps. 
Do you have a special broadcaster voice when you're interviewing people like, hi, I'm Mike Ashmore. What did you say that you're going to do if you get in this uh, ball match later? No. So um, I, my voice tends to change based on who I'm around, which is really stupid. Like when I'm around Brett Jody a lot, like I'll kind of do some y'alls and hex and shucks and all that Our stuff. Nation, that was a hard hit <laughs> ball. Man, yeah, but, God willing, that sneak through the hole, but some days it just don't, you know? It's the never, way the cookie crumbles. Never heard the man swear once. I've known him 18 years. So, And then when I'm right. around hockey, there's a lot more like A and like, you know, kind of this more Canadianisms and stuff like that. So, But I, I don't have like a, a voice I go to to do interviews. You guys have had to deal with my BS for long enough. You know, I don't really change my voice for anything. So, mm. who, is, who is your who's your favorite interview? Uh, how many years have you been doing this now? 18. 18. 18. I started when I was 20. Don't, we don't want to, we don't need to call out your age, Mike. You look okay. youthful. You've been doing this longer than a, a farmer <laughs> on a, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, so do you feel like over, over the years you just got, I mean, how quickly can you bang out a story? Um, I mean, if you're like your editor calls you like, Hey, what can you get me in an hour start to finish? I mean, can you make that deadline? Like how much time do you typically need to churn out something that you could put your, you want to put your name on? 10 minutes. I think the best probably examples of that are when even this year, like when I'm on deadline, deadline for the Super Bowl is really, really hard because I had a story ready to go about the 49ers winning. I was had it ready, had it set. And then Mahomes does what he does. And had I just changed that around. So there's uh, there's game, I think, six of the Stanley Cup final in 2013. Uh, Chicago scored two goals. And Stevens, you should know this. They scored two goals in like 30 seconds or something like that. It looked like it was going to go to a game seven. And then I had maybe five minutes to send in a story that made some sort of sense and wasn't in Japanese about how that all happened. So those are kind of the moments where you kind of feel that pressure and you're not – you're not even really thinking. You're just kind of doing and hoping that it uh, it looks okay. It's awesome. So, you, Dan, skip my question totally. Who's been your favorite interview of all the guys you've gotten to, to talk to over the years? Are we talking like in terms of like names or in terms of like conversation or? I'm in terms of in terms of entertainment for you. Oh man, uh, who's the most entertaining interview? Like somebody you, that you think back, you'd want to interview again. Man, that's interesting. Um, geez, because there's just so, so many different. <sighs> Sparky Lyle, such a, I don't know. I feel like that's such a, a cop out by me because I've known the guy for so long, but you just never know what he's going to say. And I know you guys have been around him a, a decent amount as well. Um, that's always an interesting one for me where I, I've known the guy for so long and I still hear him tell stories that I've, I've never you know, heard him tell before. That's always a fun one. Um, name wise, I feel like I've been very fortunate to kind of talk to, I want to say most of like the, the relevant kind of sports figures today, but um, Tom Brady's always one I kind of get fired up for. I've done that one a couple of times. Bill Belichick always makes me want to crap my pants. Uh, <laughs> you have to be so, uh, so focused on what you're doing and try not to ask a stupid question, which obviously you want to be doing anyway, but you know that, you know, you, you might be the subject of some sort of viral clip if he bites your head off. So you don't want to do that. Uh, shoot, man. Uh, Ovechkin's always cool. Crosby's always cool. There's, there's still ones you get fired up 
fired up for, but for the most part, it's just, uh, you know, it's really no different than, than doing what I do in the Atlantic League. It's, it's all, they're all just people, you know? So I'm going to uh, now flip that. Who's the worst interview you've had in your 18 years? Oh, man. Um, you could first, say, you could say, uh, you could say me if it is. No, you guys were always, both you guys were always, were always good. I still remember Blewett being pissed off. I went up to him the first time, but that's probably a different story for a different day. So Why was I, 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 was, I don't remember this. Why was I pissed off? I don't know. You weren't having a good day or like you were like wondering like why I was even like, yeah, cause you, I think you showed up like the year before or something like that to like try out at the end of the year. So there's some sort of scenario where you kind of, where we came across each other for the first time and you just did not want much to do with it. So hmm, I don't remember that, but interesting. It's all right. So Dan's not the worst, but who, who's the, did I, who's did somebody. I did I refuse you or did I still <laughs> no, give you no. what you needed? No, you wondered why I was going up to you in the first place. Oh, probably just because I was a nobody. So I don't know. I, I mean, I've always been a like try to do something first kind of person, and I I don't know. That's probably my reasoning. Like I haven't done anything. Like why? What do you want with me? Yeah. We get the we got the root of Danza. No, Danza I always appreciated jerk. it. I always appreciated it. Worst man. Um, or someone you would prefer just to not interview again. You know, he's maybe he's not a bad person, but somebody you just don't want to interview ever again. Jeez. Uh, I've had a few hockey ones that haven't really gone too great. Evgeny Nabokov was always kind of a prick. Um, nice. Ray Emery, Ray Emery, rest in peace, was not the greatest to deal with. Uh, shoot. Uh, if you Sergei could, Bro- Sergey Bobrovsky, you, on the list as well. What you got? If you now? could interview a serial, a fictional serial box character, who do you think would be the best interview? <laughs> Oh man! Uh, I have to. I mean, refer- Tony the Tiger, the Lucky Charms guy, one of the ghosts from like Boo Berry, or um, I would say probably Captain Crunch. No. Yes, the <laughs> only correct answer is the captain. <laughs> He's well traveled. He's probably, I mean, been to all the, the oceans. It's like the Locked. Jack Sparrow of cereals. Logged a lot of sea miles as the captain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you get to. If Back in the day a... before we fortified the cereal, too many men died of scurvy out on the seas before the captain. Yeah. If you could take a if you could take a slap shot at somebody with no gear on, who would it be? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> all the answers that come to mind will get me in trouble. Um, Dan, Dan's Dan's is Trevor Bauer. <sighs> Man, I don't, I don't know. I don't really. I mean. I feel like if I say Trump, that's going to cause a lot of issues. So I don't want to do no, that. No, well, you could say that. I mean, especially right now, that's that's probably that's probably the answer. So he's a really compassionate. He's a really compassionate person. I'm waiting for like Secret Service to, like pull up to my freaking door like two seconds from now. So Dan, no. well, you got a new no address. You're anything. in the you're safe now. You got You just moved. I heard as, he was a great hockey player. As long as Don knows where to send my stimulus check, we're all good. So, I tell you what, he might be a good goalie. He's six. He's big guy, six three with those pads on. And obese. And obese. So yeah, he's covering helps. a lot of. He's covering a lot of the of the net. You don't have a good. You might. You got to have a very good shot of hitting him, but maybe not a good shot of scoring a goal on him. Well, you guys, uh, it was way past. Uh, well, way before your time in Somerset when he uh, landed his helicopter on the field uh, before a game to throw out a first pitch. So, 
I forgot about that. He's good friends with the owner, isn't he? Or he's got yeah, he's, ties he's to the owner. Good friends with the Califers. He uh, he did that once where he landed his helicopter on the field before a game, and then he uh, was one of the the dignitaries back when he was just a uh, reality show uh, bozo uh, at the uh, I think it was the 2008 Atlantic League All Star game. It's funny that that Steve, that the owner of a you know on a somewhat obscure independent baseball team has that good of a relationship with just a now the president, but even then somebody who was, you know, high profile New York city, you know, celebrity. Yeah. I mean, Califer family, as you guys probably both know, know everybody. They're great, great people. They know everybody. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they even had a couple of years ago, they had Trump record like a, a go Patriots video. I don't think that was around for your time. Stevens. I don't think they played that. I, that I remember seeing, I remember seeing it. I don't think it was, I think it was right after me, but I remember seeing the, Again, just shows like look how how weird a weird a world that that uh that multi millionaire billionaire club is. Yep. Just wearing headbands, just taking <laughs> names, just drinking malort. Just never know where they're gonna show up. Us, maybe become maybe become president one day, and then just like hey. do random stuff. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about the about Twitter fact checking Trump? And then last night they actually flagged one of his posts as well. As well, I mean, potentially did, offensive and inciting violence or whatever. I mean, should they not have flagged that one? No, I think it was valid. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's a very slippery, very slippery slope to talk about political things. I try hard to kind of stay in my lane and not address that stuff too much. But um, yeah, I don't, I mean, if, as long as it is an actual genuine fact check, then I mean that's what it, I don't see what the issue is there with uh, with them wanting to do that. So I just I pulled up the tweet. Um, I have mixed feelings about this tweet specifically because he says these thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd. So that everything that's going on, George Floyd is the is the African American civilian from Minneapolis that ended up dying from police brutality. Um, he says. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to the governor and told him military's with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank do you. you. Do you know the origin of that last statement, though? Uh, I don't. Do you? So apparently it is traced back to something from the 60s. There was a, a very uh, racist uh, gentleman who originally uh, – authored that phrase i think we kind of need to, to look into that before we speak about that part of it more but uh, apparently he uh kind of called back to, to that time to uh to use that yes. i can't ima- can't imagine he just pulled that out of his rear end so no wonderful. nothing yeah. wonderful i'm very against the and mike here in media i'm very against this whole like they like i have to click on view to see this tweet i'm very against the censorship of it not just trump it doesn't matter who it is like I feel like if you have something to say, that's the beauty of First Amendment free speech, that you should say, be able to say it and be free to say it, you know, platform, whether there's a there's a, a very, I don't know, fuzzy line with social media because there is it free speech on social media or are they are they allowed to govern what you say? And it's obviously they're trying, you know, this is a step towards governing what can be seen and said by certain people. 
that's uh, a big thing on Facebook too, is where you kind of see like there's like that image preview thing where it's like this may contain like sensitive material. Do you really want to click on this? And just to kind of go back to the, the last point, uh, the, when the looting starts, the shooting starts uh, was from Miami Police Chief Walter Headley in 1967. If y'all want to Google that for anybody who's listening or watching, go ahead. Uh, you guys can probably figure that out better than I can. So, mm. yeah. Um... There's just so I, I listened to this episode of the Recode Decode podcast, and they had a couple experts of uh, disinformation um, talking about the spread of fake news and and these organizations that essentially just churn out either fake content or content that's semi-real that pushes an agenda or whatever it is. There's these houses all over the the world that are doing this now, and they monitor it and. Um, it was really interesting just hearing some of these things that they do and the way they push their agenda. And, um, a lot of it's, it's just like troubling, but yeah, I, I mean, I did listen. I did listen to that when you sent it to us, I listened to the first half of it. Yeah. And then it's you just, tuned out. Yeah. For well, sure. I have a, so I disagree with, and I'll summarize like the, I, I think everything should be questioned, right? Everything that is reported on should have, you should have some, some questions about it. I don't think you should take anything as fact, whether it comes from Fox, CNN, whatever. So the social media, like all of the stuff on Twitter and Facebook, you choose to consume that. So I don't know. I don't want somebody telling me that, you know, warning me like, oh, Donald Trump said something that might, you know, might be somewhat offensive. Like, okay, I'm following him. I wa I'm following for a reason or I'm following some somebody else for a reason. Black Lives Matters, something like I'm following these people for a reason. I want to see what they say. I don't want you putting to the front of the line what you think I want to see or what you think that I want to uh, read about. Like I want to I want to see like there's an option to block. I want to see what I want to see. And I just don't, I'm very pro, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that are said that I don't agree with, but if I want to, I want to be informed on both sides, I should have the ability to see it without it being censored or taken off a platform. Um, the problem so is there's a difference between sources and let me give you an example. that doesn't ex exactly exist, but it could say there's like a terrorist group and they want people to inject themselves with bleach so that they die and they want to inject it. They want them to. And so they just, they create all these websites that look like the same font as New York times or whatever. This is what a lot of these organizations do. And they make this massive campaign to get all these articles out there by all these different sources, make them look official, get them retweeted, get them lots and lots of reads saying, you know, this is a real thing that we, you need to go home and take a syringe full of bleach and inject your children with it. Could kill a lot of people. And there's a lot of dumb people that would say, oh, wow, that, I need to do that immediately because that prevents, you know, and this is like a, you know, a hop, skip and a jump from the stupid things, you know, Trump was saying, but say that was what they were saying. That's not what he said, but say that was a thing where like, Hey, if you take this cocktail of household products and drink them, um, this is going to help prevent this thing. And so they make this massive campaign and it kills 30,000 people. The, you don't think there should be any sort of protection from something like that happening. Like someone but should be a, checking right, so that, that stuff. So like that's an extreme, can right, so that's an potentially extreme be weaponized, example, but it's not okay, that extreme. So that's a very extreme, like you're, but you have to go to both sides saying, of the continuum to, to figure out where the, is there, should there ever be a line? But and then the, you say, okay, well, there, where is the, the line? line? Then you back off a little bit. Where is the line? But there is Mike, Mike, right where now you the line at? is. Yeah. Okay. Mike. I feel like there is a difference between things that you see on social media that are 
different than what your viewpoint is versus something that is meant to be intentionally deceiving. So uh, to Stephen's point, um, I mean, I don't really necessarily agree with a lot of things um, being censored, especially if it is just because it's of a viewpoint that, that's different than yours, but in terms of something that's intentionally deceiving, I think to somewhat agree with Trump uh, of all freaking things, um, you know, uh, actual legitimate fake news. Uh, I, I think there's, uh, you know, a good reason to try to get rid of a lot of that in terms of, again, things that are trying to intentionally deceive people. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, a, I'm on the side of like, I don't necessarily agree with what you say, but I'll defend your right to say it. Right. Uh, I don't think that like, yes, if someone's like, if someone's saying like, Hey, go play Russian roulette and take a video of it. Like, yeah, that, that guy's that's borderline criminal. But I'll use a less tame example of if you believe that the earth is flat and you want to run a thread on Twitter saying that earth is flat, like you should have the right to you're, do that. You have the right to be stupid. You can uh -huh. you have the right to, to be an idiot okay, but, yeah, but like, and believe something that's in a, very, in very less, dumb and disproven for sure. But a, okay. Is it disproven though? Like there's a lot of people that think the yeah, earth is it's flat. Yeah, sure, it's for sure disproven. We've been to space. It's for sure uh, That's not, that's a, that's a, have we been to space? We don't know that. Um, Mike, where do you fall on the Earth being flat? Man, uh, this is not the conversation I was expecting to have today, boys. Mike, uh, we don't talk sports on this podcast. We talk crazy shit. Uh, but but just saying, is it though? Doesn't make it not true. Like the Earth is for but sure. My point is that's round. fine. Like, it's like it, for sure. Okay, round. it's a globe. But well you But if you believe that it's <laughs> yeah, flat, okay. if you believe that it's flat, you should. Ha you have. You can yeah, say you, that. Like out I said, loud. you can you can say dumb stuff. That's fine. But like, don't just say just just from from me to you, Bobby. You don't need to say. But is it when no? The Earth what? is for sure round. The okay, Earth is so, for sure. All right. So let me. So let's take a different take a different example. Um, Mike, where is the, is the Earth round or is it flat? What do you got? I have no reason to believe the Earth is flat. Fair enough. So well, like, how about so? So like the, point the Kennedy like, assassination. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Like the Kennedy assassination has been sixty years removed. That you know. Some people think it was the guy in the grassy knoll. Some people think it was an inside job. Are you not allowed to? It could have been Tony the Tiger. Okay, we don't been, know. Could have been Captain Crunch. We don't know. Honestly. We don't know. Was it? But you don't know. Yeah. That's that's a. But we valid, don't know. See, I'm doing the same. Question. I'm doing the same. It's a valid question. But to the original point, though, like if if Stevens feels like it was Captain Crunch, like I don't feel like his opinions on social media should be censored in any way. If he wants right. to say it was Captain Crunch, okay, cool, say it was Captain Crunch, man. Like yeah, that's, that's fine. I don't. Yeah. I don't feel like he's saying that to intentionally be deceiving or anything. I feel like that's his opinion and that's what he believes. There's a difference between your beliefs and a difference between just spreading BS. That is what I believe that Captain Crunch killed yes. Kennedy. I'm well, glad that's, we established and, that. And that was part of this podcast, um, which again, it's called Recode Decode, and it was the, the most recent one. But um, they were talking about there's a difference between misinformation, which is Captain Crunch, you know, killed JFK, or disinformation, which is, well, I guess probably the same thing, like when you're just <laughs> fabricating something. Like, again, like, hey, go home and drink as much bleach as you can because it cures, um, you know, cures you cures leukemia that's disinformation like you but made the, that up with the issue is who's whatever. deciding this don't do that is, by the way that was not a real thing that and that exists or should be done who's deciding what information you see and don't see first of all is unknown like twit jack comes out and said like jack comes out and takes responsibility for it but 
Yeah, Jack's like a jellyfish. Like, He's about as spineless as they come, it seems like. But it's so who's making that decision? Is it the government that has that power? Is it these companies that have this that power? Like I would prefer if in a perfect world that it would be somewhat to the Wild West, like on Twitter. You can say whatever you want and you have the ability to not see all of that information. You have the ability to block it as opposed to Twitter deciding what I do and do not see because that is, I feel, much more dangerous than uh, the former. What do you think, Mike? I don't know. I mean, it's their platform. I mean, I don't see like it being any different. I don't see it being too much different than, say, you guys being with the Camden River Sharks and saying, like, I don't know, so something that's controversial or silly or whatever. I mean, they have the, the right to do whatever they want with you after that. You have the right to say it, but they have the right to do what they want with you after that too. I agree. I agree with that. And I, I that brings up another good point is that is Twitter uh, like a free market platform? Is it like the town square of the, the old days where you go there and you, and you talk about whatever you want to talk about, or is it a privatized like platform company where they decide what is allowed on their platform? I mean, it's, yeah, it's I don't, like, it's like you there, can't put a sign on my front lawn, like right. Twitter owns their platform. But is it? But it. But I don't think that line isn't. I don't think there's a def a, a distinction right there because Twitter is kind of like the town square. So, is Twitter a privatized company? Like, if it is, then I'm all for them being able to put whatever they want on their platform. If they want to take people off of it, they can take people off of it. Well, you sign a user agreement. I mean, you sign a, you sign an agreement of how to the terms of service and all that sort of stuff. Right. If you don't, if you don't right. agree to it, you can not be on Twitter, and that's okay. right. I but but then are they advertising themselves as like a beacon of free speech and news? Because if I don't, I, don't, I think I don't they know. are. Are they, I, Mike? Are they? Are they the beacon of Twitter? The beacon of free speech and news on the <laughs> interwebs. Mean, are you a troll? Come to Twitter. It feels that way, but obviously it isn't that way with what we were talking about with it. You know, like you said, signing the agreement and them kind of being their own private entity. I mean, they, it feels like they mostly don't, but they have the right to display or not display whatever they want. Yeah. I think, Mike, Mike have, you, Mike, have you seen the movie Minority Report? I'm not in a very long time. But you remember what the precogs are? Like vaguely, man. It's been a while. <laughs> so well the book was a lot better uh but anyway so like in minority report they have these three like mutants essentially that have these crazy brains that can predict the future that's just what we need for all these platforms we just have like a group of mutants that they sift through all the stuff and they determine like objectively what's fake news and what's not what's disinformation what's not then we just know like the precogs like if they say it's then we're all good we're good uncorruptible system just having a, a tank full of mutants deciding I think that's the way to go, Bobby. How do you fall? How do you how do you feel about this? I mean, anything with mutants that causes anarchy, I'm down for. Or maybe like take some animals and like give them superpowers. Like elephants are really smart, or dolphins, and uh, like just really get them to the point where they're way smarter than us, and then let them decide. Stevens, when you when you sent me the the show outline, Twitter mutants did not come up. <laughs> and 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 uh, all knowing dolphins didn't come up. Captain yeah, Crunch sure. was not on there. Disappointed. Not on there. Did, did you really expect my uh, my journalistic outline to stick for this podcast? No. So thank you, Tom. Uh, we got a message on Twitter. Just the origin of the, like you said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. A racist uh, white Miami police chief. So that's um, yep. targeted African-Americans. So, so yeah, wonderful. Wonderful uh, illusion. Mike. And Mike. 
Mike, I just want to I just want to jump in real quick. Zach Clark on uh, Periscope says you work like an animal. Yes, I uh, came across Zach uh, at the uh, the Future Star series. I guess he's a scout with the Rays now. Uh, covered him in, in Somerset and uh, a little bit uh, elsewhere in the Atlantic League. And uh, he saw me rolling around in the dirt and shooting videos of seventeen year old kids running sprints. So, yeah. <laughs> Mike, how, how do you how do you view the um, so that was your first kind of foray into like the amateur kind of baseball world? How did you how did you like the Future Star series? Like, what do you what do you got on that? So I started. It seems, at, it seems like they do good do a good job. Yeah, no, Jeremy Booth and everybody over there, and Brian Norris and Renee Booth, and everybody over there does a great job. New Balance does a great job. Let me just check off all my list of people whose uh, rear ends I need to kiss. I'm kidding. New, kidding guys. New Balance, good shoes. Man, their company had such a turnaround. Like was it 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago from just being those dorky white dad shoes that I'm sure a lot yeah. of you are wearing as you're listening. By the way, if you're out there wearing those dorky white sneakers, uh, send me an email. I'll help you. I'll send you a link <laughs> of some shoes you should buy. Okay, go ahead. So I covered Jeremy as a player uh, with Somerset. He was there kind of uh, briefly. And then a little bit later on in Sussex, I covered him there as well. And um, we always kind of kept in touch. And he asked me if I could help him out with this new venture that he was doing. And I don't even think he knows this, but at the time, I didn't really want to do it. Um, I didn't have the right attitude about it. I felt like I was kind of above it. And then I actually started doing it and I loved it. Um, it's, it's a totally different side of the game. Uh, you get to be around all these kids, which is a lot of fun and kind of see like a different passion for the game than kind of what I'm used to, to seeing in other places and get to meet all these great people who have had all these great different experiences that I hadn't really been exposed to. And, uh, it kind of brings me back to the prospect side of stuff too. My background kind of, um, I was really full-time in Trenton and double a from 08 to like mid 13. And the thing I miss the most about that is getting to kind of see these prospects coming up and kind of getting to form my own opinions on, um, you know, what I thought they would be going forward. So obviously it's at a much earlier stage in development, but to get to kind of do that uh, really brings me back to a lot of stuff I liked about covering affiliated ball too. So it's been, uh, it's been a great experience and I really uh, can't thank Jeremy enough for bringing me on. It's been great. You really hit, like you said, you really checked all the boxes there. It was great. Good corporate answer jeremy wherever you are keep, <laughs> keep it going man mike mike ashworth had a great time no but that's cool i mean I, i've seen their their stuff i don't know that much about it but it seems like they run a pretty um a, a pretty like high class organization yeah it seems cool yeah got to uh do uh, their their big event at fenway park uh last year which is really cool so uh yeah a lot of a lot of big things going forward too uh, i know they kind of moved a lot of things to, to louisiana and that seems to have worked out with uh them um uh, kind of loosening a lot of their restrictions with the, the pandemic and all that stuff going on so i'm kind of hoping to uh kind of make my first events back as a, a sports writer getting out of semi-retirement kind of doing that at the end of june as of right now so we'll see Mike, how do you see as we as we slowly start to wrap up here? How do you see the journalism industry changing? I mean, there's going to be newspapers that don't come out of this. You know, we hope that yours do. Um, you know, like, but how do you see the future? What do you think is going to happen? Oh man, um, it was a dying industry when I got into it. Uh, it's a dying industry now. Uh, just a matter of how what the I guess the, the degree of free fall is going forward. Obviously none of this is going to help. Um, I hope I have jobs to come back to when this is all over. I don't know. Uh, we will all find out together, I suppose. Um, but even when I first started, like 
kids, some kids like look up to me for whatever reason, who knows why. And they'd ask me for you know, advice on, on how to get into this and all that stuff. My first thing I always say is have a backup plan because this is a, it's not for everybody. And B, there's so few jobs and the pay is what it is. And there's a whole separate conversation on that, I'm sure. But it's just, it's yeah. a very, very difficult thing to get into. And you really, especially now really, really have to love it if you want to do it. Um, it just, it's such a, a dying, dying thing these days, which is kind of sad to actual real journalism. Um, especially, I, I mean, I'm more or less the only guy really covering the Atlantic league anymore. And it wasn't really that way. When I got in there, almost every team had daily print coverage and it's really not even our paper doesn't have daily print coverage anymore. It's like once or twice a week. So, uh, just to see what it was when I got in and what it's kind of become now, uh, is, is mostly sad, but there's for the places that are, you know, still, you know, doing good journalism, you know, support that because that's where you're getting all your facts. It's where you're getting all your information. And for, you know, whatever your favorite paper is or magazine or podcast, whatever, support that. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes in. There's a lot of, I'm sure there's a ton more work that goes into what you guys are doing with this podcast than you imagine, because I know there is with the one that I'm doing. So uh, for people who are actually putting in work and doing good journalism, make sure you support that, especially right now with everything that's going on so you can be informed. Well, and it's hard. People, you know, and this is what blogging did, you know, starting 10, 20 years ago, is that people now expect to read everything for free like the writing has been devalued yeah and it's it's sad that no like real writers it's it's a highly difficult skill and churning out like good articles over and over and over it's really really hard people don't appreciate it not to mention i think people are more people are worse writers than ever i think this is there's actually fewer people that can actually probably do the job well especially start when you start writing jumping around medium like medium.com is a really interesting place. Do you much familiarity with medium? A little bit. Yeah. It's such a weird, so medium, if you're out there is sort of like a social media platform for like blogging. So if you want to, you don't want to have your own website and you don't want to start your own blog, you can go on medium, make an account and they have this like really nice editor. It's just like a clean, it looks very professional, like just like a New York times article. And uh, you can make an account and write your first article today and it's on medium. And when you go to medium.com or their app, they just have a, you know, it's a newspaper sort of layout, just like anything else of just people that just write stuff for free. And there's like little clubs within it, sort of like you could be part of like a tech group and write articles within that group. It's kind of like, like that. Uh, but when you read medium, you feel like you're reading a real publication. But then when you read some of these articles, you're like, that was trash. Like the five minutes I just spent reading that was utter garbage. It was poorly written. It was a story that didn't need to be told. It was told like everything about it was trash and like, oh yeah, that's because anyone can write here and most people aren't actually that good at writing. And it's good that people are writing more, but it's a, a skill and I'm, I'm bashing other people to, to like, I'm just backhandedly praise you, but like people, it's sad that people devalue real writers because it's, it's, it's a hard thing to be really good at, to get to the point, to, to lead them down that journey, to tell a story in a compelling way. And most people can't do it. And yet we still expect to get all of our, our reading and for free. And it's just, it's sad. Like people don't want to pay for it. Yeah. Anyone can do what I do, but when it's what you do, you should notice a difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You definitely get what you pay for. I mean, uh, you know, in Chicago, we've got Sun-Times, Tribune, both daily newspapers. You know, you pay $1.50, you're going to get prominent writer who's well-known, who's also writes well, like he's got, 
He's got good flow to his columns. And then you log on to the local Cubs Nation blog and you read something this guy, somebody wrote. And sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's what the hell did I just read? Yeah. So it's you, you, def- you definitely get what you pay for. And I think like medium.com is a good good name because the medium of journalism, I feel like has changed a ton. Pot, like Mike, you got into podcasting. I want to just touch on your podcast a little bit. Um, yeah. The no name, too. is it the no name podcast? Did I get that correct? Or the, <laughs> the, un, the, un- the untitled Mike Ashmore untitled. podcast? Because both of the names I actually wanted to use, I couldn't. So, so podcasting has become like a new law, you know, journalism, essentially the Joe Rogan podcast has been in the news recently and there's, yeah. Everybody, especially now, you can do podcasts remotely. You can get stories yeah. remotely. Mike, did you? Th- I know you got this new job, you know, to make ends meet, which I think is admirable. But did you think about just selling your podcast for a hundred million dollars? I, I should have done that. I know. Uh, what are you stupid? Yeah. I, mean, come I should on. have gone full Joe. You guys want to see my podcast setup? Here it is. When I'm doing phoners, do. when I'm doing phoners, it's this. I hold my recorder up to my phone. I don't have a fancy boom mic and all that stuff like you guys have. It's literally this. I do this. For an hour at a time, I just hold this up. That's all I do. That's, that sounds so miserable. <laughs> Why do you do that to yourself? It's the that's how I've always done phoners. Like when I, you know, when guys sign in the off season, like, hey man, how's it going? Here's five minutes about how optimistic you are about. It. I write that story thirty times a year. Player X, right. X major leaguer, player X excited about opportunity with Team Y. I've done that story ten thousand times, and that's how I always do phoners. Is I'll hold my recorder up to my phone, and that's how i do a podcast man so it is it is, what it is. <laughs> it's the um, old school you're the old school mike yes. and i'd like to point out that joe rogan followed the morning brushback to spotify with no recognition of us whatsoever when he signed his deal i mean how many he guys followed have the, he followed what, what are you we've been on spotify a lot we've been on spotify like how many oh, so, how so, many so is he so is he no 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 yeah, yeah. his show's no, on Dan, spotify Dan, fact fact check this, Mike. Uh, can we get a shout out from Joe Rogan? Like we're 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 blazing a trail for this guy for hundred million dollar contracts. We can't even get a shout out on his podcast. It's getting ridiculous, Joe. It's I've interviewed Joe ridiculous. Rogan in the past. I should have I should have brought that up and maybe uh, tell him in the future. Like, hey, you know, when you're going to the Spotify thing, you guys gotta bring the morning brush back along with you too. He's so. really, you know, he forgets who brought him along. You know, who helped him along the way. And it's really, it's not, it's unappreciated, Joe. That was all that we're going to edit that segment out. That was not, that was utter nonsense. I'm going to clip that and tag. So, him how, so how many, Mike, so Mike, how many episodes deep are you? Uh, what is your show about? It's basically a one hour excuse to do a long form interview, asking questions to guys. I never had the balls to ask when I actually covered them. That's the best synopsis I can give. Um, I'm trying to think of an example where um, so Mike Antonini, for example, I don't think he was around in the Atlantic League when you guys were. Maybe he was. No, but, he was. Uh, yeah, I played okay. against him. Antonini, great guy. Um, got called up to the big leagues twice by the Dodgers, but didn't get to pitch either time. He's called a, known as a phantom player, I guess, where he was on a big league roster, but didn't get to play. And I've known Mike a long time. Um, I did a story similar to that with Kyler Newby, uh, who was great about it, but I never had the balls to ask Antonini about it. And it wasn't that I thought he was a bad guy or he was going to like chew my head off or anything. I just never did it. So uh, something like this was kind of a excuse of sorts to kind of dig into that a little bit more and uh, you know finally get to, to get the real story on that. So it's kind of stuff like that. It's more just long-form uh, interviews in terms of just really digging into guys' careers step-by-step step and um, 
almost like a career retrospective thing. So, you know, it, it's been fun. It's been, it's been fun. I, I don't, I kind of hate that I have to do it because it means that I have the time to do it, which means I'm not actually covering games right now, obviously, but it's something that kind of makes me feel like I'm still involved in sports and keeps me sharp um, until I actually do physically get back. So, Yeah. Where, uh, where can people find your podcast? What platform is it on? Uh, it's on YouTube, actually. So the idea behind that was, uh, this is, I don't think I've ever told this story before because it's kind of slimy, but um, I was at 970 subscribers and you can monetize your channel at 1000 and i figured that if i did it that way it would be a good way to a produce content and kind of you know keep people uh, entertained and interacting during kind of a crappy time but b i could also kind of um you know make a couple extra bucks you make like 12 bucks a month uh on youtube if you have decent anywhere remotely decent views so just kind of a small revenue stream and um, an interesting way to kind of have like a video element of it too. Like I'll have, if I have guys highlights, I'll, I'll play them over the podcast and something like that. So it's more kind of designed for like a YouTube premium kind of thing where you can just kind of play it in the background. But um, yeah, pretty much just YouTube for right now. I've had people ask me if I can put it on like regular, like, you know, Apple or Spotify or anything like that. But as of right now, it's kind of a YouTube thing. So. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. You bring up the monetization because it does take a while to make any significant money. I have 11,000 subscribers on my two channels combined. So I have about, I'm, I'm nearing 7,000 on my baseball channel and I'm about 4,500 on my softball channel. Um, and my revenue, I don't care. To, I don't mind disclosing it right now. Uh, my revenue fluctuates depending on the time of year between 200 bucks a month and 100 bucks a month, yeah. depending. And that's with both channels combined. And that's just from like the ads you'll see on it. Um, and you know, it's, like it's not what people think it is. Yeah. No, if you get to you know a hundred thousand subscribers, you'll be making maybe two thousand dollars a month if your videos are still consistently viewed, which is not jump change. Like that can pay your mortgage. Yeah. In, in perpetuity, so it's something to definitely progress towards. That's certainly not the the main reason for either of our our shows, but it's like it's just something to like keep the lights on. You know what I mean? And that's I think that's reasonable. Have you yeah. thought of? I mean, and there's a lot of other ways. What's really interesting, and not and this is sort of tangent or an offshoot of what Joe Rogan's doing, but there's, and I think, I think Spotify is demoing this. So this is also probably a reason for you to just like download your episodes, throw them into a media or uh, an audio editor. You know, it'll just take out the, uh, the audio stream and you can just throw it on those other platforms too. But Spotify is, is I'm pretty sure in like beta testing of a, uh, um, advertising platform for podcasts where basically, you know, Bobby has a company that sells Malort. You know, Bobby's Malort company says, hey, we'd like to advertise on a podcast. Here is the ad that we'd like you to read. We'll pay you $35 to read it. And anyone can go in there and grab that and read on their show. I'm sure there's stipulations like you might might have to have these many listens or whatevers. But if you, I think if you basically qualify, then you can say, yeah, I'll read that. I'll read Johnny's Hippo Farm. Come to Johnny's Hippo Farm where we have the biggest hippos and we, you know, whatever. And then uh, you could just like monetize your platform that way on your podcast, which is a really interesting idea because Bobby and I will for sure sell our souls for an extra $13, you know, a month for sure. Of course. Like we'll yeah. sell, we'll sell it immediately. Um, but that's a really interesting way because there's a lot of podcasts. It's a growing platform still, even though it's very cluttered. Um, yeah. But if you have a consistent fan base, yeah. And I mean, there's also Patreon. I mean, what else is in the, in the Mike Ashmore pipeline? Well, not only fans, that'd be weird. Um, so, um, yeah, just, you know, doing that, um, 
just trying to stay busy, like I said, with the Future Star series thing, kind of maybe kicking around the idea of doing a podcast with some of like the, the draft-eligible kids, too. Um, just just trying to stay busy, trying to stay relevant right now. Like, it's really – like, sports writing is, is not a great place to, to be right now because there's nothing to really do. So just trying to reinvent yourself and um, make yourself more appealing to – you know, potential future employers if things do go bad when things get back to normal. So, um, yeah, even doing stuff like this, I mean, it gets, you know, it gets my name out there. This gets your guys' names out there for whatever it is you guys want to do going forward. Be big media darlings all over the place, perhaps. You never know. So, Media darling. That was my, that was my goal going in, I think, uh, when, we, well, when we were I've, brainstorming. I've, I've... I feel like the way this would go is we we become media darlings. Bobby starts a solo career because he feels like I'm holding him back. We both get really bitter and resentful. We both do our own thing. It doesn't work nearly as well as we hoped it would work. 20 years later, we finally reconcile. And, you know, that's I feel like that's our that's essentially the next 30 years mapped out. In a nutshell, I I, I thought we actually well, planned sty- on doing that. The stylistic directions already. I mean, you can see it like. I got plants in the background. Bobby's got a shadow. I'm bald. Bobby's got a ridiculous headband. Like you can already see the split here, right? You can already see where yep. life, the, what we want from life is very different. Bobby's having the, a child. I add my plants. So. The yin, the yin, the yin and the yang. Conspiracy theories, you know, sound, logical judgment. There's just, yeah. you know, it, it can't, it can't work forever. Mike, I posted this uh, this poll. I want to get your opinion because we feel like we've all got a certain. I'll just read it. <laughs> what are you least likely to ever do again <laughs> when everything goes back to normal? Like, yeah, fuck it. So, what are you least likely to do out of these four things ever again? Dine in at a restaurant, go to a gym, attend a sporting event, said you in mind, or shake hands. When Steven, all this is over, you can see my arms in this shot. Does it look like I ever go to a gym? Come on, Mike. So you're wiry, strong. Have you ever seen the replacements? Have you ever seen the replacements? The kicker? Yeah, I mean the guns. Put them away. Look at that, on, Dan. What do you got? On, what do you got on that? What's a, what's what are you least likely to do after all this is over? Well, I'm actually going to cancel my gym membership today since you mentioned it. I it was on pause for two months, but I'm just going to nix it because I'm. A, until I'm like consistently lifting that stupid weight that it's in my house that I've been sporadic with, like I just need to get very regular and consistent before I like bother spending more money on the gym. I've been running a lot and, um, but there's like other stuff I should foundationally do first before I go back, especially while it's going to be sketchy. Um, I'm not a huge, I don't like care that much about the restaurant scene. So I'm not eager to run back in there. Also the DC, so DC is reopening today in phase one. Their phases are, and I, I, I really do commend Mayor Bowser for what she's done. It's, it's been very like algorithmic, I guess you could say it, as far as their uh, reopening. But let me pull this up and, and I'll give you the glimpse because this is, uh, it's a little bit baffling. Um, so phase one, let me see if I can find this. Uh, so phase one is today and that just means i think you can sit outside at at restaurants and maybe i don't know there's not a whole lot more you can do i don't know if i'm going to find this that their website's just cluttered and awful but but here's the big thing that stuck out to me which was phase three 
is like all clubs and bars can reopen yeah. with a max of five people yes. per, per 1,000 square feet. It's like, in what world does that make any sense? In what world? Talk That's about a rage. 20 people, 20 people in a 4,000 square foot bar. Like, just put them out of, just say, just like, hey, guys, just go out of business. Like, just, I'm all for it being safe. Uh, I'm, I, that just like doesn't make any sense to me. I just, I don't see how that can be viable for anyone. It's like, don't, I don't know. I don't really understand. So, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But I feel like the party in that, there's going to be 20 people in that 4,000 foot people, bar. 20 but they're all going to be right next to each other. Because they need to interact. You don't, you don't go there to be by yourself. You go there to interact and just, you know, fist five pump, tables like. of four people in a 4,000 square foot <laughs> restaurant and 4,000 square feet, square feet for like a one, you know, first level of like a huge. you know town. That's, that's huge. Yeah. It's very big. Well, what do you think sporting events are going to look like? They're not going to look much different when they come back. I think sporting events are going to look exactly the same as they did before. From the not, fans, perspective. not right away, not right away. No, no. I think. Let me rephrase that. I think the. I think the people that are attending these are going to treat it how they treated it before. They're going to be right next to everybody. They're going to touch the same amount of stuff that they touched. I don't think there's going to. I don't think there's the caution. And I say this because, um, so Wisconsin has opened up for youth baseball. Mike obviously knows. Uh, we both, Dan and I, have both been in youth baseball for tournaments. And the group message I'm in with all these coaches is, and all the coaches are from Illinois is that you would think that nothing happened to Wisconsin based on how everybody was acting at this tournament. Um, and I think that is going to be the sentiment for a lot of people that do end up attending the sporting events. Uh, you know, if you, I feel like if you're going to attend a sporting event with let's giants game with 80,000 people, 8,000 seats, you're probably at least more liberal with, you know, what you're doing. You're not practicing social distancing in general. I think, People that are going to attend this stuff, at least especially when it opens back up, are going to treat it just how they treated it before. And it's going to lead to a whole wave of you-know-what, if that's how it goes. We can say crap on here. Whole wave of crap. A second wave of crap, if, uh, if that's how it goes. Because that's a, a mass of humanity that is not giving a you-know-what about each other and that's a big part of what's kind of led to the spread of this thing in the first place so if you open stuff up too soon and you have a big mass sporting event with eighty thousand people and you don't do the social distancing stuff then you're, you're asking for it yeah it's gonna be bad. I, I just got breaking news on my phone that says la liga is resuming june 11th which seems pretty quick uh for major soccer i was um, no fans right so here i pulled up the dc I didn't pull it up. uh three-stage plan you guys ready Yes. So stage one, which is today, which again, I, I think I think the mayor's done a really good job here in D.C. It's just I just don't see how this is going to help businesses. So stage one, hotels and accommodations are open with safeguards, same with construction sites, which people have been doing construction anyway. I've been watching sure. a building getting built right outside my right across the block. Uh, office spaces work from home recommended restaurants and food open outdoor seating with physical distance and safeguards. Bars and nightclubs still closed. Non-essential essential retailers can provide curbside and delivery service. So Best Buy can deliver me a toaster now. Um, barbershops and hair salons, five people per 1,000 square feet. And select libraries can provide limited curbside service. So if I need to read War and Peace and I don't want to buy it, I can now get my copy, thank God. Uh, places of worship, up to 10 people in groups. Parks and, parks and tennis courts, golf courses can reopen. 
playgrounds are closed. Um, that's essentially it. And there's not that many differences in phase phase two. More venues open, up to 50 people. Gyms can reopen. They can't reopen now. Again, gyms and studios, five people per thousand square feet. Okay. Did um, anybody pace off a thousand square feet for reference? Or did that just sound like a good round number for anybody? I don't know. But, dude, that that's where I really just don't understand because phase three – you know, all stuff's back open, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like museums are in phase two, which I think a lot of people in D.C. There's so many great museums already to go back yeah. there, have something to do. Same thing, five people per thousand square feet. Of course, those might be 100,000 square feet. So that's 500 people, but that's still crickets. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't, I mean, bars and nightclubs can't open in phase one or phase two. In phase three, five people per thousand square feet. So I just don't understand how those businesses can possibly recover at this point i mean and i'm not saying that that's a bad decision like i believe in public health i think again it's just a, a fascinating thing to think about how that can work financially it's like okay you can reopen airplanes but you can only have 30 people on your flight it's like well the economics don't work so let's just quit you know like the economics just don't work for a lot of things at, at reduced capacity like mike said it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting I mean, it, some of these states are wide open, like Florida, where things are open, Georgia, things are open. Um, but some of the states, like in Illinois, where I'm at, I, I know people that are losing their businesses that, are, that aren't going to reopen come June 1 that I've talked to. And they just said, like, we're just going to find a different avenue. Maybe they're going to stay in the same industry, but under the current situation where you can you can have people in Illinois, in Chicago, you can have people on your patio, your outdoor seating, but nobody inside. Well, outdoor seating in Chicago doesn't necessarily exist for all places. And if it does, it might only be a table or two. So it doesn't make like, like dance, it doesn't feasibly make sense to re ramp up operation again. And for just to keep taking a loss. Yeah. Mike, well, are you still awake over there with the, all that Mountain Dew? I can't believe you drank all that Mountain Dew and you haven't had to get up and use the, the bathrooms since we started. I have to piss like a racehorse, <laughs> but it's all right. So <laughs> but, the, thing, the things I do for you guys. Yeah. Well, on that note, Mike, we, we appreciate you being here. <laughs> this has been a, a long episode, and uh, but it's been it's been good. We appreciate your point of view, and I wish you luck, obviously, out there, and hope you get back to writing full-time soon. Yeah. Man. Me too, guys. It's been uh, fun catching up with you guys. I enjoyed uh, covering both of you guys and uh, hope to actually see you guys in person uh, both sometime soon, maybe at the, uh, the the Morning Brushback reunion after you guys uh, split and go your, your separate ways and then eventually rejoin exactly. as, the, as the biggest podcast on Spotify. So Easily. The, that reunion show is going to be epic. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm Mike, uh, just give our, our listeners um, your handles. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you on the web and all that stuff? Uh, you guys can find me on pretty much every social media platform at, at Mashmore98, M-A-S-H-M-O-R-E-9-8. Just don't send me creepy Instagram requests because I get those all the time. If you know mm, me, cool. Yeah. If you don't, maybe you feel that one out a little bit first. Um, and obviously on YouTube as well, Mashmore98 for the untitled Mike Ashmore podcast. Yeah. Mike's a really good interviewer. He's a really good guy. We really appreciate him on the, on the, having him on the show. So, Mike, thanks again for being here. And um, Bobby, send us off, man. Mike, we appreciate it. We'll see everybody Tuesday on the Morning Brushback. <laughs>